and welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. Hello, Rev Women listeners. Paperback Book Day is July 30th. To honor this day, I decided to re-release my conversation with Gay Polisner, young adult author. Gay is the award-winning author of six novels, including the multi-award-winning The Memory of Things, which is used in schools around the country. A family law attorney and mediator by trade, but a writer by calling, Gay lives on Long Island with her husband, two sons, and a suspiciously fictional-looking small dog she swore she'd never own. She is an avid swimmer, and when not writing, can be found in the open waters of the Long Island Sound. Her next book is forthcoming from Henry Holt in 2022. You may follow her on Twitter and Instagram at GayPaul, on Facebook at Author, and find her books wherever books are sold. Hi, Gay. Welcome to Revolutionary Women. Hi, Tess. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad to have you on the, on the show today. Um, so for those who don't know anything about you, can you please tell us a bit about your background? Yes, that's everyone. <laughs> okay. We can start off there. Okay. <laughs> Nobody knows who I am. Um, that's not true. There are a few yes, I doubt uh, that. Very, very loyal readers who know who I am okay. um, and some classrooms. But um, uh, my name is Gay Polisner. I am the author of six young adult novels. Uh, actually five young adult novels and one novel for middle grade or young readers, however you want to categorize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, and I guess ongoing, though less so now, I'm also a practicing attorney mm-hmm. and a mom and a dog owner. <laughs> I know, Charlie. Okay. And, and a wife. Look how my husband got last billing. I adore him. <laughs> I think he knows where he stands. I love that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so I, I, I really wanted to talk to you because I wanted to find out your take on um, one of the novels I just read, which is Jack Kerouac is dead to me. But before that, so I, I read on your bio that at eight years old, you wrote a poem called Stop the Wars. Can you mm. tell me what that was about? Mm. So I really wrote from the time I was old enough to write, as you can see from that poem. Um, and yes. so that particular poem, I'm assuming, because we're talking about a long time ago, mm-hmm. um, I was going to pull it up and read a couple lines from it because you saw it on my website Mm -hmm. where in the about me, but my dad was actually a surgeon in a mass unit in Vietnam. I saw that. That was amazing. Wow. So I grew up um, pretty much in a family where when my dad came home, he talked to us about the horrors of war and why he didn't think that war was ever the solution. And so even as a very young child, he was gone from 66 to 67. So I was um, two and three years old. So I, I barely you know, remembered it at the time even. But mm-hmm. as a young child, that background had a very big impression on me. So the uh, 
I was looking to see if I could make it bigger, like click on the picture, but the opening lines you're talking about are stop all wars, people fighting, biting too. This mm-hmm. is enough, I think, don't you? Um, I wasn't particularly told that people bit, <laughs> but you can see how young I was. But uh, it's I like I like it because it was my first activist poem. But I, that's because I grew up in a family where um, my dad told us from a young age that war was never the answer. Mm. Yeah. But even at that at that young age, you were very aware of what was going on and. Was that something that was just um, a part of you, or or was that because, like you said, your dad was in um, in Vietnam? Is that what it was? He was yeah. a, a yep. surgeon in Vietnam, and how did that affect your relationship with him? You know, coming home from that. You know, I was so little. It's funny because there are letters, um, mm. stacks and stacks of letters, and they're really sweet to read, and so. Um, you know, it's too, I was too young for me to really remember it by the time I was nine, 10, 11. But at the time, it certainly had an impact on me. And I do remember that when my dad came home, my sister, who is two years older than I am, mm-hmm. um, was so excited to see him versus me, who I think was confused mm-hmm. to see him when he first came home. And my sister brought him to um, kindergarten for show and tell Mm -hmm. because the kids in class didn't believe she had a dad because he was gone. So she had brought him in for show and tell. I think for me, it was more like trying to have to learn who my dad was, but it, it was such a young age for me that I think I remember more from the beautiful photographs we have. There's a photograph of my dad in the airport the day he arrived back home and him holding one of each of us holding each of us in each of his arms. And you can see that the look on my face is one of confusion. But Mm. I think that my parents both made it um, a point to talk to us commonly about what was going on in the world. So, for example, um, when Martin Luther King was shot, my mom actually sent my sister and me to school with black armbands on to mourn him. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, so my parents did, I don't think I realized until I was adult, I almost got teary saying that, like choked Uh up, but my parents did an excellent job, especially I think for the time, um, to try to raise children who were aware of what was going on in the world without scaring the crap out of us, which I think probably happened (laughs) to Mm -hmm. (laughs) We were timid little girls, so... But that's really powerful, even at that young age. I mean, yeah. and I, I, kudos to your parents for, you know, ex, well, not so much exposing you, but uh, making you aware that, mm. you know, this, the world was not, um, the world is not all candies and everything. It, it's, it's, mm. it's definitely got its complications. Um, mm. So I, even at an early age, you know, your, your parents were, um, really aware that they needed to at least let you know that this was going on. And like you said, not to scare the crap out of you, but, mm-hmm. but still, you know, make you aware that, okay, things happen, um, but we're going to be okay, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. wow, that's that's uh, 
quite a beginning. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so you wrote poems, and then you started writing free verse, um, and you and like you wrote love poems that you decorated with. I love this with rainbow watercolors, which I thought was, <laughs> I was awesome. I love that. I was very into rainbows and and heartbreak in high in junior high and high school. So. Mm. Oh my god! Well, I, I mean, you know, I think we can relate. High school, yeah, it's it's definitely about angst and 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 longing and all of that. You know, all those emotions coming out, um, which I thought was really very cool. Uh, then in college and post college, you started taking creative writing courses. And I love this because I used, I used to go to um, the Gotham Writers Workshop when I lived in the city. Um, uh. And great energy and all that. And, and then you went from writing poetry to short stories. I mean, did you enjoy more than one, the other? More than, more, did you enjoy one more than the other? Um, I, so I actually took creative writing in college oh, okay. and that, and then I took it post-college and I think that it was, I'm actually still in touch or back in touch via, you know, the wonders of Facebook with my, um, awesome college creative writing teacher who is now a multi-published author in her own right named Jessica Treadway. Mm-hmm. And she was back then a young I didn't know this, but it was, I think it was her first year teaching Mm. creative writing at the college level. But of course, to me, she seemed way older and wiser. She was probably three years older than Mm -hmm. I was at the time. Uh Um, So she really had, she loved my work. So I did both poetry and short stories that we would share in that creative writing class. And I can still remember the feeling of, of the approval that I got from the other uh, writers in the class or the other students in the class because I was at Boston University so it wasn't really I wasn't like at the you know the Iowa school for my MFA it wasn't it was a it was an elective it wasn't the oh. main oh, you know right. it wasn't the main kind of class that they were offering and so I remember sort of getting a lot of accolades there including from um, my teacher at the time and so it was there. I wrote short stories and I wrote poetry. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I was great at the short stories. I still have it as one of my goals to learn how to write a great short story. I don't mm-hmm. know how to do that yet. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> so, so when I took Gotham City Writers Workshop, um, I think that's what I was trying to work on, short stories. I don't think it was even still in my wildest dreams that I could write a complete mm-hmm. novel. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, so, I mean, you so you went from writing poetry and shorts or <laughs> trying to do short stories to legal, to becoming a lawyer? How did that come about? <laughs> So, because I don't, because writing was just a hobby. It was not ever, like I said, in my wildest dreams, something Mm. that I could do professionally. Um, I came from a family where my dad, you know, is a physician. He's a retired physician now. And so I think that for me on my horizons, for whatever reason, because it wasn't the same case for my sister, but for me on my horizons, I was thinking lawyer or doctor. Mm. I don't I don't know how I got that. I used to joke when I applied to law school and I had to interview and somebody asked why law school. I said because it was either lawyer or doctor and I 
hate the sight of blood. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny. So I kind of like, it just seemed, I mean, there were things I pursued, but I, I basically ended up in law school because I wanted credentials. I didn't feel as I had graduated college and embarked on the the world of career stuff that I had the credentials that mm-hmm. I wanted to to sort of feel like I could assert myself. And so I mostly originally went to law school to feel like I had those credentials. Mm-hmm. But Okay. Like every other endeavor, as you, you know, go on a, a wobbly, crooked journey, you are subject both to changing ideas and opinions of what you might do and the marketplace. And um, so I ultimately, I originally went to law school thinking I wanted to do entertainment law mm-hmm. and stuff to do with music. Um, but when I graduated in 1991, we were actually in the middle of a depression. Mm. And so I ended up getting hired by one of my um, law school professors who ran a big matrimonial practice on Long Island and called me and offered me enough money Mm -hmm. that, you know, in the middle of a depression with no job, I jumped at it. (laughs) So I ended up a divorce lawyer by circumstances more Mm. than uh, desire so to speak. (laughs) And I mean, so have you been practicing for how long? Family law? I graduated in 1991. So probably from 92. Okay. And did you ever think that you would go back into writing? That eventually? Really? Nope. Nope. I didn't think about it. It just, I, I mean, I remember distinctly sort of feeling like I wasn't happy in, I was happily married. I was happy being a mom, but I wasn't happy with my accomplishments. I wasn't feeling like I had found my professional path Mm -hmm. when my, I worked for that professor doing divorce law and that's what I became good at. So then I had a couple of jobs in divorce law and it, it so wasn't, who I saw myself as or what I wanted to do. I actually went back and trained in mediation and I, that's what I still practice when I'm practicing law. And I do actually love um, aspects of, of doing that. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I continue to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't, that's not how I viewed myself, I guess. And I, when I was pregnant with my second son, I started thinking I really missed the creative person I was. Nothing I'm doing feels creative to me. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I sat down and said, I want to see if I can write a hundred pages of a book. And of course I had no idea for a book. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I just started writing and saying, don't look back, just write forward, write forward. And when I wrote a hundred pages, I thought, oh, maybe I can finish this story that sort of evolved. Uh And so it took me about five years doing it that way, you know, while I had one baby in my tummy, one colicky baby out and was working part-time as a lawyer. It took me about five years to finish a a piece of women's fiction that was about 270 pages long. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, and here thinking, here you were thinking, I was like, yeah, you know, I was fine. But then, like, some part of you knew that, okay, you needed something a little, you needed more creativity, 
which is yeah okay that that's yeah where it stemmed so okay so for people who don't know you've written a total of six books that have been published correct um young adult novels correct and so what attracted you to writing young adult fiction novels so what happened, first of all, I was a voracious reader as a kid. And I think when you're, when you're a, a reader as a kid, the books that you love as a kid change you and stay with you. Um, so it was always an area I liked. But more than that, my kids were, you know, remember I said it took me five years. I first yes. wrote a piece of women's fiction. It took me five years. So now let's say my kids are like six and eight. Uh-huh. And I'm still working on my second manuscript and I'm agented on the first, I, I get doing the, I'm making it sound like it was a quick journey because it wasn't to get agented, but I got agented on that first manuscript by a literary agent in New York City who loved the that manuscript. Um, I was working on a second one, but I wasn't selling that first manuscript to publishers. Mm-hmm. And I was reading aloud to my kids every night. And now they're six and eight, nine and 10. Mm-hmm. And I started to think, I'm not selling this mat- piece of women's fiction. Maybe I'll write a book for my boys. Oh, wow. And so that's how I ended up writing um, what became The Pull of Gravity, which was my debut young adult oh, novel. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's really awesome because it really, <laughs> it really uh, wow, that's awesome because it went from, you know, having to like figure out how to get the, um, the women's, man, the, the manuscript with women's, your know, women's work not getting published to then creating a book that you could read to your kids, which, <laughs> which got sold, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, so the one I read, the one I just read, Jack Kerouac is Dead to Me. I love Jean Louise's character. Um, I mean, she had an innocence about her, but she was also wise for her 14, 15 years because of her home life. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who wants to read it. But, I mean, how did you decide on writing her character? So remind me of that question a second and probably let me just kind of try to give a quick elevator pitch or something about what Jack Kerouac is dead to me is about. Okay. It's about an almost 16 year old girl who, um, her, she and her best friend who have been best friends since they're little suddenly have more and more, um, distance between them. She feels like her best friend is abandoning her and judging her. And part of that is that Jean Louise's JL is mm-hmm. how she's more often referred to. Um, part of that is that JL's father has been, um, is, has, has gone off to California on business, but he keeps not returning from it. Mm-hmm. And her mother is really spiraling into, um, mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so JL is pretty unsupervised and without sort of parental guidance. And she starts dating an older boy named Max Gordon, yeah. who is on the one hand still a kid himself and means well. And on the other hand is a little um, fast for JL and a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. And so her JL's best friend Aubrey sort of judges JL and 
and backs off of her and finds some new friends. And so it's really a story of what happens to us when our when our friends and families desert us, what happens to us when we're all alone. Mm-hmm. Who do we latch on to? What do we latch on to? And so um, Jack Herrick is Dead to Me is different, I think, than my other books in lots of ways. And mm-hmm. one of the ways or one of the reasons, I think, is because Oddly enough, it began just as the title, mm. <laughs> which I've never done with another book. Uh-huh. Um, so I woke up with the title in my head. Um, the Pull of Gravity has an entire, which we were just talking about before, which is my first debut book, mm-hmm. has a whole of Mice and Men thread running mm-hmm. through it. Uh-huh. And because of that, I got it in my head that maybe all of my books would have sort of classic literature tie-ins. And it was a thought that was barely brewing in my head. And almost like as a joke, I woke up and said, okay, my next book will be called Jack Kerouac is dead to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But somehow I got from there to thinking, hmm, there's something I like about that. And so I started asking myself questions. And mm-hmm. and so JL really came to me just as a series of questions I was asking myself. Why does this girl hate Jack Kerouac? What mm-hmm. relationship to her family does he have? What's the tie between Jack Kerouac and his most famous book on the road and mm-hmm. the story that I might be telling? Um, that typically tends to be how I get a scene in my head or, or a phrase in my head or something that typically is how my books start. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about Kerouac is that I put that book on the back burner over and over again. I kept, I, I started that book right after The Pull of Gravity, but if you look at the order my books have come out in, after Pull of Gravity was Summer of Letting Go, mm-hmm. then The Memory of Things, then Inside of Stars, and then Kerouac. And that's because I kept not knowing what the book was and I kept putting it away. Hmm. Um, I had a beta reader who loved it always in the back of my mind. My friend, she's now become a friend. I know her through my books. Her name is Kelly Hager and she's a blogger. Mm -hmm. Um, She had always loved this really rough manuscript of Kerouac that she had read. And my agent had always loved things about it, but I couldn't get it right. And so when I finally showed it to my editor, Vicki Lame, she kind of, she was the one who said, I love JL, but you don't have this story yet. And she helped me figure out sort of how to unlock the story and to make it work where it needed to go. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I also realized for the first time that JL is probably the character I've written that's the most like me. Really? And even though her external trappings are not, Uh I actually came from, as you've heard, a wonderful family with very hands-on parents. Yes, yes. But the rest of it really is very me. I was bullied in high school. My Mm. best friend betrayed me. I never thought I was good enough. I never thought I was pretty enough. I never, so, you know, so JL, JL and her insecurities and her pain mm-hmm. are definitely mine from that period of time. And she is the character. That was a long answer to your question. No, no, but, no. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I mean, because when I started reading JL and, and 
parts of me could relate because, you know, high school, bullying, that kind of thing. You know, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that so many girls and guys went through the same things that, you know, that were on your book between <laughs> betrayal and, you know, bullying. And, but what I loved about JL is that she, even with everything going <laughs> that was spiraling around her, she still maintained, you know, herself. Uh-huh. Know, her her own her own way about her because she she did not want to she didn't want to be you know falling off like everybody else um uh-huh. and to me that that i i love that your your depiction of J, um of jl thank you i think so 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 many times when i've when i Skyped or Zoomed or walked into classrooms, high school classrooms especially, but even seventh and eighth grade classrooms, I always um, end up talking about bullying at some point Mm -hmm. because I was so badly bullied and because I write about those kinds of issues and Mm -hmm. especially in Kerouac. Mm -hmm. Um, And almost always in every classroom when I say to the girls, you know, you don't have to be friends, but be kind to one another. It is so important that we lift each other up as women and girls. Mm -hmm. I see the eyes cast down. Mm -hmm. I see the eyes cast down of either the girls who are the ones who I know are being bullied or Mm -hmm. the girls who are doing the bullying. And so I really wanted to write JL as a character that, especially the girls who were being bullied, maybe if I had read JL, I would have been able to hold on to myself better mm-hmm. um, rather than let so many, I let a lot of pieces of myself go during high school because I didn't think they were cool or because I didn't think they would, um, you know, be the things to keep me in the more popular crowd or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was one of the fun things um, or if not fun, enjoyable things you get to do when you write is to, you know, give these characters something that you didn't have. And I love that about JL too, that she finds a way to stay true to herself. Yes. And, um, and I I think that's a good quality. Yeah. I thought that was really, that was so necessary for her you know, to survive, you know, just to be, a, you know, with everything going on around her, which I thought was really, it was really so well done. Um, Thank you. So, And also, you um, wrote about, I mean, throughout the book, butterflies were part of <clears throat> JL's environment. What's the, what was the tie-in with the butterflies? That is where the muse comes in, Tess. Mm. <laughs> I knew nothing about butterflies. And in fact, if you ask me, you know, are you a butterfly lover? Because, you know, uh-huh. there are people who love butterflies. I yes. was not a huge butterfly lover. I mean, who doesn't like butterflies? But if, you know, they weren't one of those things where I was like, oh, I love butterflies. <laughs> um, I When I just first started writing it, I and I was thinking about JL's fragility Mm. And also how strong she was. I don't know. There was just this moment where I thought, I bet she raises butterflies. Mm. And 
that was it. I started as, as often will be the case, the thought came in my head and then I did some research and the more research I did on different types of butterflies and Mm -hmm. just kind of reading about them, the more I was like, oh my gosh, this is so right for this girl. She, she raises butterflies. So I, you know, became a somewhat of a butterfly expert in the writing of it, but that was just a stroke of luck that, um, that it came to me that that's what she would do. I thought it was brilliant because, I mean, I, I, I'm not a butterfly expert, but when you look at butterflies, they are fragile, but they are, you know, they're resilient. And I thought it mm. played so well with JL's character because as fragile as people may seem to think she is, she's, she's really, like, resilient and she knows who she is, even though she's surrounded by so much chaos. Yeah, I think that that, I think that the thing about the, you know, so people think that if you touch a butterfly, there's like a myth that if you touch a butterfly, you'll rub the powder off its wings and you'll kill it or it can't fly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I thought too. And so I think that was one of the first facts I've read where they were like, you know, people think that, but it's not the case. And, and I just could see those exact parallels with Mm -hmm. my with my protagonist as we say and so she became um and and there's an opening scene which doesn't ruin anything where she's actually repairing the wing of one of the butterflies and that was an actual video that I watched um where like who who knew you could repair a torn butterfly wing with a cardboard splint So, wow, I didn't think, know that either. Yeah. Well, how would I have known? But I mean, that's, that's exactly really cool. that's very yeah. cool. Wow. Yeah. So those are the little treasures when you when you write like I do without knowing what the heck you're doing. <laughs> you spend a lot of time looking at research and hoping it will inspire story, and luckily, so often mm. it does. And it, uh, yeah, and it was. I love the symbolism behind it. You know, I really Thanks. did. I thought it was it played so well with her character and, and just the butterfly um, symbol. Um, Thank you. So Jack Kerouac, like you mentioned before, he plays a huge role in the lives of your main character, um, in the life of your main character. Did you know you wanted to use Kerouac um, even before you got JL's character, or was it the other way around? Was JL first and then... So, like as I said, the title came to me. So I guess somewhere it was in my head that Kerouac had to play <laughs> some role. But, okay. uh, but actually, I wrote the first entire draft with, um, with keeping the Kerouac stuff to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I would say that you know, in in some ways, it's been interesting to read the reviews. Some people feel that the Kerouac stuff, you know, plays a big role. Some people feel it has a very minor role. Um, I mean, basically the gist of it is that her mother and her grandmother are a little bit obsessed with Kerouac. And the reason is, is that her grandmother once had a kiss with Kerouac years Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. And that scene, that was always, um, the connection, Mm -hmm. but I didn't actually write that scene that takes place in Gunther's tap room in Northport in 1962 until after, my editor had bought the manuscript. We had figured out where we wanted to go with it. And we were done with sort of the initial draft of it. And then I was like, you know what? I need a scene where you get to see 
the grandmother with Kerouac. So that 1962 scene came in so late and it was one of those examples of thinking like, I cannot believe I was going to write this book without it. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, then you see, like, okay, this where this is where it stemmed that whole obsession and the whole, you know, how he pictured into the story, you mm-hmm. know, and, and mm-hmm. that's oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and it's I thought it was really um, amazing because when I, I after I read your book, I looked up. Jack Kerouac and looked at his bio and did did a couple of research on him and I'm like wow he was a lost soul himself mm, mm. and I'm like oh okay so mm-hmm. in a way it was like it it really paralleled you know not a lot but definitely had some parallel with JL's um home life you know mm-hmm. and and I thought that was that was awesome. I, I thought it was mm-hmm. really well. I, I thought it was well executed. And thank you. It wasn't. It wasn't. It, it was just a hint of what his story was about, but not you know, not enough to like you know, to like oh okay you know, it's like more about Kerouac. No, it's really just this is just how it stemmed and how it became a part of her life. You know, Correct. But, uh, uh, as much as she didn't want it to be, but it was it was there anyway. Correct. Oh, okay. But I do, but I do, but I do tell, re- I also have had a few readers over the last, I guess it came out in April. So however many months that is, who have been like, this book isn't about Kerouac at all. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, you know, sorely disappointed. So if you're, if you're listening and you love Kerouac and you think my book is about Jack Kerouac, it's not. And I keep saying, I keep saying to them, the title's not Jack Kerouac is alive and well to me. It's Jack Kerouac is dead to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That should be the first hint, but yeah. <laughs> not always. <laughs> so funny. Oh, wow. And so the, the other thing that really stuck with me is the issue of G, uh, JL's um, relationship with her mom. Uh-huh. And, I mean, I've known you for a few years, and I know that your parents are lovely and very loving. So was that relationship hard to write about because it's so it's antithetical to what you have um it is so antithetical to what i have and i've known so many people with that type of relationship Mm. um so i don't think of all the things that have been hard for me to write that relationship was hard for me to write, whether it's a parent who has mental illness, whether it's a parent who 